Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I want to give you five promises on wholeness. Five promises. Are you ready? Five promises for wholeness. This is for your life. These would be good five verses for you to write down, to memorize, to put on your refrigerator, to write with a a Sharpie on your, uh, yeah, Sharpie. Do it with a sharp or a dry eraser uh, marker on your on your uh, bathroom mirror or something. These are five verses for you. First of all, First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty three. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. How many know it's God that makes you holy? You don't make yourself holy. May the God of peace who makes you holy in every way and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now that word blameless right there doesn't just, it doesn't just mean, hey, keep me, keep me from committing sin. The word actually means no flaw in it. That there will be no flaw. This is what he's praying. Your whole spirit. There will be no flaw in your soul. There will be no flaw in your body. This is the word that the Apostle Paul is praying over you. And I I think he knew how to pray. I think he knew how to pray the will of God. And you need to pray this over your life. That the Holy Spirit would keep you holy. The God of peace, whole spirit, soul, and body, and you be kept blameless. That word holy means to sanctify, to set apart, right? It means reserved for purpose. You think holy, you think no makeup, right? Don't cut your hair. Some of us have seen some, some very poor examples of what holiness is. Holiness just means that you are set apart for God, that your purposes aren't about you. It's not about your life, that your life is set apart for God. And he said, the God of peace is making you holy. He is sanctifying you so that you would be blameless. He is setting your soul apart. He is setting your spirit apart. He is setting your body. He is making an example out of you, of his goodness. Will you get this? And it's not, listen, it's not just a performance-based thing. Because you think holiness, you think performance. The Lord is saying no. He's saying, I'm making you of a, to be the men and women of no flaw. Because you're devoted to my purposes. Second promise, Isaiah 53, 5. We know this. He was pierced for our transgressions. Lord, I don't deserve your healing. That's all right. He was pierced for your transgressions. You don't have to pay for your sins. He did. Anybody that will come to you and tell you you need to pay for your sins, point them at the cross. Jesus already paid for my sins. That's condemnation. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, was there punishment due for the sin? Yes. But the punishment that brought us peace, that made us right with God, was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. I like that the the New American Standard says this, the chastisement for our well-being fell upon him. The chastisement, the, the, the bruising, the pain that it took to get you well was upon him. 
And I know there's a lot of, listen, there is a lot of emphasis on self-care. I don't have a, I don't have a whole lot of problem with you taking care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself. But let me tell you today, he is a lot better, does a lot better job of taking care of you than you do of taking care of you. And a lot of this thing that we're labeling self-care is really just self-consumed. I just need to, I just, how many days do you need to be selfish? Because that's really what you're talking. I just need some self-care. And I'm not saying you don't do anything for yourself. You should do some things for yourself. You shouldn't, you shouldn't abhor yourself. That's broken. But you shouldn't be obsessed with self. The third promise. Y'all okay? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I want to give you some, some things to, Take with you. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Joy in the Holy Spirit. What's the kingdom? The kingdom of God, in other words, it's not, the kingdom of God isn't about like coming to church and just fellowship and eating and, and having all these practices, the function. Because we think kingdom, we think function. I think kingdom, I think function. I think kingdom, I think power. But it's not just about function, it's about form. Our experience in the kingdom is form and function. And so the form is this, righteousness, right standing before God, made right before God. You didn't make yourself right with God, God made you right with him. Through Jesus. Righteous. Righteousness doesn't increase. Righteousness doesn't increase. It's in Christ. You can't do anything to earn righteous. You can't do anything to be righteous. You can only trust what Jesus did to become righteous. That's the, the, the primary core of the kingdom. What makes you worthy of being in the kingdom is that Jesus purchased you. Jesus purchased your righteousness. Not, not a tainted righteousness, but the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What is God's standard of righteousness? God's righteousness. I'm a good person. <laughs> Are you as good as God? Because that's the standard. That too. I don't know what that is. Righteousness. Number, the second part is this, peace. I, I, just need, I just need some peace in my life. It's part of the kingdom. I need some joy. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy. I, I like the way Bill Johnson says, he says that that. Peace is quiet joy. I think that's the way he says it. And then, and then joy is loud peace. Yeah. Come on. That's a, that's a good word. So our experience in the kingdom is form and function. It's function and power. It's form and posture. So it's not just about like all the, you know, the, the, when I think kingdom, I think power, dominion, all this kind of stuff. Yes, it is all about that. But there's a posture that we have. We get to, as kingdom citizens, you're righteous. You have peace. And you have joy. You have it. You're not going after it. It's already, it's already been provided for you. You just carry it out. You walk it out. Peace and joy are kingdom realities, not life occurrences. And this is what we go. If, if this just happens, then I'll have some peace. 
If things go my way, I'll have some joy. Guess what? That's not the way it works in this kingdom. In the kingdom, you have joy and you have peace and you walk those things out. And some of you are waiting for joy or peace to fall into your lap. It's not going to happen. You've got to walk out the kingdom mandate. Kingdom, the king's dominion. His dominion. And there's in his kingdom... There's no lack of joy. Listen, he has more joy than you can imagine. There used to be this, uh, when I first got saved, there was this movement called the Laughing Revival, and all the critics were like, there's just too much laughing. <laughs> that was the, the criticism. And I, and I, 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 I get it. I, I get it. I got to have all the arguments, all the kind of things. And I'm like, why would you have a problem with people experiencing joy? Right. Because you don't have any. We're always critical of people that have more joy than we do. Is it a spirit of jealousy? Maybe. So peace and joy are kingdom realities. They're not life occurrences. So just just quit waiting to be happy. Quit waiting to have joy. Quit waiting to have peace. Just bring it. The kingdom in you is bigger than the world around you. So it's not something that happens to you. It's something that's produced in you. And whatever undermines these values... Even righteousness, we talk about right. Well, you're not, I'm, righteousness isn't being lived out. That's a violation of the kingdom of God. It's a, when you sin, you violated the kingdom that is within you. It's a violation. Whatever undermines this, whatever undermines your peace, whatever undermines your joy, undermines the king. It undermines Jesus. It undermines his authority. When we choose to walk in a life that is not exemplifying righteousness, peace, and joy, we are saying, we are saying this isn't submitted to Jesus. Because in his kingdom, in his dominion, there is righteousness, peace, and joy. The end. It doesn't mean there's not pre- the presence of hardships and difficulties. All those things are there. But you can have joy and you can have peace in the midst of it. It doesn't matter what happens around you. Is it getting in you? Y'all okay? All right, that's the third one. Then Jesus says this, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. You know, the world talks about peace and unity. They don't know what they're talking about. Unity just means shut up and agree with me. That's what unity means. Peace means just be a, be a peacekeeper. Don't say anything to ruffle any feathers. That's not peace. Jesus never said to be peacekeepers. He said to be peacemakers. In fact, one time he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. (laughs) Because he's going to show you what peace really is. Peace with God. (laughs) I'll leave my peace with you. I'm making it, the, the peace that Jesus had was because he possessed the Holy Spirit. He was possessed by the Holy Spirit. So the peace that we have comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus suffered more than you'll ever suffer. I remember in about 2001, sitting in my living room, suffering with loneliness, feeling rejected. And the Lord showing up in my living room and sitting on the couch opposite that I was sitting on and looking into my eyes. And I didn't physically see Jesus, but I, could, I was experiencing his presence in this way. And he was looking deep into my heart. And I was like, Lord, I am so lonely and, he, and I feel so rejected. 
And he said, I understand. I'm rejected every day. But I'm here with you. I do not reject you. He says this, I don't give you the peace that the world gives. And then he says this, don't let your heart be troubled. What does that tell us? That tells us that we let our heart get troubled. Beloved, don't let your heart get troubled. Listen, I know the world's a mess, man. You, you, you get on social media for two minutes and your heart will be troubled. There's, there's, listen, there is more trouble that you'll experience, trouble of heart, by being on social media for five minutes than our grandparents experienced in their whole life. You're, you're capa- you don't have the kind of capacity to care about all the things. Let me just free you from that. You don't have to care about things that you have no influence over. Let me say that again. You don't have to care about the things that you don't have influence over. The Lord gave you a capacity to care, but he also gave you a capacity to transform things. And if it's not within reach, get your eyes and hands and heart off of it. Don't let your heart be troubled. And do not be afraid. See, the, the, the presence of peace in your life cannot be outsourced. When my spouse stops acting that way, when my kids are no longer four years old, you're probably going to be saying that like for a lot longer than four years old. Then I'll have some peace. When my boss gets off my case, when my pastor gets off my case, then I'll have peace. Peace can't be outsourced. And some of you are looking for peace in situations. You don't get peace from situations. You, you, you get peace from having the Holy Spirit sitting on the throne of your heart. This is where you experience peace. In this world, you will have trouble. I'm jumping ahead. So tart, listen, tart, start, start taking responsibility for your soul. My soul isn't well because, and you point to everything outside. You have the keys. You have the authority. You have the dominion. Take dominion. Promise five. First Timothy one seven. Second Timothy one seven. Not the first Timothy, the second one. Same Timothy, second book. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. He didn't make you timid. Well, I'm just, he didn't make you that way. But a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Now, we just sang this. I want to break this down for you. When he's talking about timidity, he's talking about fear or, or, or being, a, being cowardly. I don't want to say it. I, don't want to, uh, I just uh, I want to be accepted. I don't want to be rejected. What is that? That is a spirit of fear. Things are not going to be provided for. Things are not going to be taken. That's a spirit of fear. He says, God didn't give you that. I know you want to call that wisdom, but it's actually foolishness. Well, I'm just, I'm just being wise. Isn't it funny? We get, we, get, we get fearful and we put wise on there so it sounds like we're being spiritual. 
such a silly thing that we do. We love to do this. Y'all okay? Fear. God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power. That word is dunamis. That's the Greek explosive word for authority, dominance over fear. The Lord has given you supernatural ability to overcome the fear in your life. He didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power. When you pray, are you praying out of your fears or are you praying in power? When you talk about your problems, are you talking about it with fear or are you talking about it with power? Some of you just need to grow up and just quit talking about how bad your situations are and start talking to your situations with the spirit of power. I'm telling you, some things are just never going to change until you start changing the way that you talk. Quit being a victim. Well, I'm afraid. I understand. A spirit of love. What does love do? Love is a a posture. Perfect love casts out fear. So perfect love is this posture that, that, that I can go through, that I can overcome fear going, I'm loved by my father. He's gonna take care of me. Can I, can I encourage you in this? Look up at me if you're going through difficulties. Listen to me. It's gonna be okay. It might not be okay tomorrow. It might not be okay next week. I'm just telling you. But you are going to be okay. You are going to be okay because you are deeply loved by your father. And he cares so, he cares so much more about your well-being than even you do. More than, more than you have a capacity to care. The Lord loves you. And he is, he is such a good provider. Perfect, listen, just enter into that perfect love. You are going to be okay. It might not go the way that you want it to go, but you are going to be okay. Listen, I, I know that you get in the grind. I know that it's hard raising kids. I know it's hard working in a job that's difficult. I know, it's, I know it's hard when you go through the ups and downs of marriage. I know all that, but listen, if you would just stay in the pocket, you're going to be okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then it says this of self-discipline. Now, we just sang this song, sound mind, because older translations use this word, power, love, and a sound mind. And we like that because we think, well, if I can make a bad decision and then I can, have, I can just have to be clear-headed about it. <laughs> but the word is actually self-disciplined. And some people want to have a sound mind but without self-discipline, but it doesn't work that way. You don't get a sound mind with poor discipline. Right. It's one and the same. Sound mind means that you have clarity of thought to make good choices. So when we're saying, Lord, give me a sound mind, we're saying, Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, but not only wisdom, but give me discipline to carry out the things that I know that I need to do. That's what it means to have a sound mind. That you're not, that you're not back and forth. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We need to be people that have a sound mind, that our mind is fixed, that our mind is disciplined, that, w- that we, are, we are operating in dominion over our mind, telling our mind how to think. This is what we spent some time last week on. And I, I feel like this week is almost kind of a part two of last week. But the reality is, is we do face these difficult, disruptive emotional states, Right? 
We've had some, I've had some of them this morning. The safest place I could be in my office with the door shut and deal with anxiety. This is not the way it should be. But Jesus says in John 16, 33, you can call it a promise if you want to. It's really a warning. In this world, you will have trouble. So we talk about the life of faith. We're not saying that there's not going to be any trouble. Because I I trust the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to have trouble. Trouble's coming. You might, trouble might not be knocking on your door right now, but it might be there tomorrow. I hope you're prepared for trouble when it comes. Because Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I've got it. I've got it. But you've got to make sure that you keep your peace. That you don't allow your heart to be troubled about the troubles. You know, we we start talking about anxiety and depression and, and those things and how they're connected. One in five adults dealing with anxiety. It's probably higher than that right now. These are stats that are like three years ago. This is before a pandemic and all the drama in the world, all the rising tensions. Listen, pressure and tensions are just part of life. Get this. I can tell you, let me just be very frank with you. It was harder for the disciples that Jesus is telling this to than it is for us right now. I mean, their their brothers and sisters, if they were in a congregation this size, their brothers and sisters are getting killed left and right because they're following Jesus. They're being persecuted. They're getting hung upside down. It's bad. So when we talk about, listen, we go through, we, we have this expectation that life is going to be easy. Oh, it's just going to be, it's going to be okay. God loves me. Yay. Let's go play in the field and in the rainbow. Let's go throw glitter on people. Let's go get in the prayer line and fall out and just bliss, bliss, bliss. This is not the, the promise. This is not what we get in the kingdom. What we get is all those things internally. Even though the whole hell is breaking loose, we're like, we're going, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I've got an anchor. And it's not in this world. Hebrews talks about this. The, the, the anchor is, is at the mercy where, where Jesus is making intercession for me. That Jesus is with me. That's where my anchor is. That's where my hope is. I'm like, man, this is not a good experience, Lord. But you are a good experience. Yeah. Yes. Good. So when we start talking about, when you start talking about your pressure, when you start talking about your tension, stop thinking that you're a victim. It's called life. Life is hard. Look at me right now, millennials. <laughs> life is hard. It's difficult. I can tell you in 48 years, I've experienced a lot of joy. I've also experienced a lot of sorrow. I've also experienced a lot of grief. I've experienced a lot of rejection. I've experienced a lot of pain. But I've also experienced 
a living king who rules with peace, who rules with joy, who rules with justice, and my life is submitted to him. Not all the garbage that's going on around me. This life is hard. But guess what? It's good. The good life ain't the easy life. So you're not going to pray away your troubles. They're going to be there. But you can overcome them. You can overcome them because the kingdom inside of you is bigger than the reality around you. I want to help you bring some order to your soul, okay? Y'all all right? I know we're just kind of sitting into some of these scriptures. Maybe this isn't the best well-presented message, but listen, a couple of things real quick. This is how we bring order to our soul. Number one is this, believe the right things. I see more garbage that Christians post about believing all this stuff that the world is propagating. We believe, we believe, there's, do you realize that everything on Google isn't true? Do you know that every stat that comes out and what people say that isn't true, did you know that that's not true? You need something that stood the test of time. You need, you need something that has a pretty decent track record. Something like, I don't know, the word of God that's been around for like 2,000 years. That's a good thing to trust. Are you going to believe the right things? Not believing somebody's opinion piece, some pagan's opinion piece. We've got all this ideology from the world, unbiblical ideology, and we're going, well, how does that all fit? How about you get in the Bible? Why don't you get your philosophy from the scriptures? Well, there's studies been done. Yeah, studies done in all different directions that have all different kinds of data. But you, that one makes you feel a little bit better, so you choose to believe that one. Believe the right things. When we talk about belief, we're talking about faith. Listen, everything in the kingdom is apprehended by faith. Everything. You don't get anything in the kingdom without faith. You don't get it. But even, even the faith is given to you by grace. God gives you grace for faith, and then you just got to start believing God. Some of you are just going to have to start believing God. Lord, when it gets better, I'll believe you. He's like, no, just believe me and it'll get better. You'll get better. This is how we introduce his world into our world. Faith doesn't make things easy. It makes them possible. And faith is not a psychological certainty of outcomes, but it's a continuation of trust. Let me say that again. Faith is not a psychological certainty of outcomes. I'm just believing there'll be $4 million in my bank account. I'll believe with you. (laughs) So make sure it's either first, and I'll believe. (laughs) Faith is not psychological certainty of outcomes, but a continuation of trust. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope. Hmm. I love the word. I love the the way that God describes God. (laughs) May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him. He's talking about faith. Lord, I want joy. I want a thing to happen. Lord, I want peace. I want a thing to happen. He's saying this. God will fill you with joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe him? 
Do you believe him? Do you believe that he's good? Do you believe that he's kind? Do you believe that, that Jesus revealed what the Father looks like? Do you believe that? Do you take him at his word? These five passages that we just went over, do you, do you believe his, he's good for his word? I mean, is he a liar? Does he change his mind? Is he not good for it? What do you believe about him? Do you believe what he says about you? That you're loved, that you're valued, that you're cherished? That he cares for you more than you care for yourself? I had this thing happen in, in 2021. I was sitting on my back porch. We had a bunch of people leave the church. For some reason, it always happens in phases. It's just like, gosh, like, can everybody, can we just spread these out a little bit more? We had like five, five core families moving that summer. And I was just like not good with it. I was not okay. And I was sitting on my back porch. I had like a, you know, if I did a how's your soul, I had like a one day. Like it was one. I don't think I've ever been that low in my life. And I was sitting on my back porch and I was just like, Lord, this is not good. I do not like this. I don't like the way it feels. We're, we've invested in these people. We've been doing this for eight years. Just, you know, just complaining to the Lord. Which is good that you're complaining to the Lord because he's the one that can do something about it. And you're, that's an act, it can be an act of faith. As long as it's not just grumbling. And I was like, Lord, I, I just don't know. I just don't, I don't know. It seems like we just work so hard and we invest all this and then it's like, now what? Now we don't get to be in these relationship with these people anymore. We thought we were going to be doing this forever. And, you know, just the whole thing. It's all the, the stuff. And I'm just sitting there, like kind of numb, but like really hurting. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, do you believe in what you're doing? But I was like, Phew. for four minutes, I was like this. I didn't have an answer. Oh, uh, sorry to disappoint you. I was just, I was just like, uh, I don't know. And then I, I, in my mind, I was thinking, how do I answer this? Because this is, I think the Lord is asking me this. This is pretty important. I said, yeah, Lord. This was your idea. This wasn't my idea. Boom. Everything changed. Everything changed. I can tell you within a month, we started experiencing a, what the Lord has been kind of doing in the house right now. Like everything just shifted because I just believed him. I believed in what he called me to do. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about what I can retain or hold on to or any of that. It wasn't about anything I can control. It was just about trusting him for what he said. So Peter has this moment. Matthew chapter 14. So Jesus is like, keeps trying to get away from people because John the Baptist just died and he's, he founds out about it. He'd been dead a little bit, but, but Jesus found out about it. And he's like trying to get away and, and mourn and people keep showing up. <laughs> it's so funny. So they show up this crowd and he feeds them all. 
And so Jesus is exhausted and he says, hey guys, get in the boat and go on the other side of the lake. So all the disciples get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. He's like, I'll see you in a little bit. He's like, I'm going to go get alone. Y'all get out of here. You, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, right? And so he's like, get out of here. And so he sends them on and Jesus goes and prays. It's at night, and he's like, okay, I better, I think something's not going well with, with my boys, so I better go find them. And so Jesus, it says it's three o'clock in the morning, and Jesus is like, walk, he just decides to just not get in a boat, but just walk on the water, because he's Jesus, and he could just do whatever he wants to do. And he's like, I, I'm, I'm done, I'm done with doing all the conventional things. I'm just going to, I'm just going to walk on the water. And so... When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. Listen, that's how you know Jesus really shows up when you're afraid of him. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, is it that bad? <laughs> they actually thought he was a ghost. Now, what is it? What is What do you see? Do you see the Savior walking on the water that you're dealing with? Or do you see a ghost, something you're afraid of? What do you have faith to see? They didn't have faith to see the Son of God. They had faith to see a ghost. They had something to make them more afraid. That's all they could see. Oh, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. Then Peter called out. Oh, Lord. Here he goes again. Peter called out, Lord, if it's really you. Tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now, I, I believe this. I believe Jesus put that desire in Peter. Yes, come. So Peter went out over the side of the boat. Now, this wasn't like a, a little raft, and he just kind of steps over the raft. I mean, this is a boat that's like 14 feet, potentially above the water. There's this crazy storm going on. So Peter's got to like work his way out. It's not like, oh, a little raft. Okay, here we go. Now we're on the water. I mean, this is like a big deal. But Peter's the only one that had the courage to walk out. He's the only one. We can criticize him that he sank, but he's the only one that got out of the boat. He decided to go ahead and get out. And so Peter's walking on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves... Hold on a second. He had already saw the strong wind and waves. Before a minute, he saw something that was stronger than the wind and the waves. But now he's starting to see the strength of the wind and the waves. I want to tell you today, there is someone that is in the water, on the water, that's stronger than the wind and the waves. But... You got to realize that he's stronger than the wind and the waves. But Peter sees how strong the wind and the waves are, and he gets scared again and begins to sink. And I love that that it says he begins to sink. It doesn't just, he's not just like walking and then a, you know. <laughs> and Peter plummeted to the bottom of the sea and was eaten by a great fish. <laughs> Wrong story. <laughs> so he's like, he's walking, he's doing okay, and he's like, oh, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> Again. <laughs> and, he's, 
he's starting to sink and he gets scared because he's looking at all the stuff around him. Instead of focusing on how strong Jesus is. And he said, save me, Lord. And I love this because even in this moment, by saying, save me, Lord, he's placing faith back in Jesus. He might not be walking on the water, but at least he's exercising some faith. I need your help, Lord. Listen, even when you're sinking, he'll help you if you call out to him. You have so little faith. Now, we, we would say Peter had so little faith. I'm like, how many waves have you walked on lately? I mean, because in my estimation, that took a lot of faith. I mean, I'm in the boat. I'm like, I, I, oh, Jesus was here? <laughs> what just happened? You guys fill me in, right? I'm with my eyes closed. I was kind of ignoring the whole situation. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. So Peter exercised doubt and started to sink when he allowed the storm to get more attention than Jesus did. And believing is really is where are you setting your attention? Are you setting your attention on the drama. When we give more attention to worry, frustration, irritation than focusing on his power, we're given power to that tension to govern our lives. Whatever has your attention is governing your life. Why don't I have peace? What are you focused on? I don't have joy. What are you focused on? Peter, Peter doubted when the storm got into him. He allowed the water to get inside him. Believe. Believe the right things. Number two, say the right things. Careful little mouth, what you say. Proverbs 10, 11, The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. When you show up at work tomorrow, the words that are coming out of your mouth, are they a life-giving fountain? Are you dishonoring the boss? Are you dishonoring the, the other employees? Are you dishonoring your spouse because you're complaining how hard the weekend was? Are you complaining because your team didn't win the Super Bowl? No, the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. Yes. Proverbs 8, 21, 18, 21, we know what the tongue has the power of life and death. And this is what we say all the time. The venters say this, I'm just venting. But what are you venting? Are you venting faith? Or are you, are you venting doubt? Are you, are you venting confidence in Jesus? Or are you venting fear? Well, I'm just being real. Perhaps you need to be faithful. Well, I'm just being real. Perhaps you need to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Well, I'm just being real. Perhaps you need not another person to affirm your poor language. Maybe what you need is to shut up 
and declare the word of the Lord. Maybe you don't. I'm going to offend somebody. Maybe, maybe you don't need apathy. Maybe you got enough people feeling sorry for you. I don't need a person feeling sorry for me. I need a person that believes in God's destiny in my life that'll pray and, and stand for, that'll speak the word of God saying, I believe in you. When you're discouraged, he'll say, I believe in you. I believe you can overcome. That's what I need in my life. I don't need someone else just crying across the table. I, I, I'm grateful for those relationships and we have those all over overflow. But I'm telling you, apathy don't break the yoke. The anointing does. I said apathy. Empathy is what I'm saying. Empathy doesn't break the yoke. The anointing does. Now, if you don't have empathy and you got apathy, you got a problem. Did I say apathy the whole time? What is wrong with me? Some of y'all are like, we are mad at you. That's wrong. I don't need to preach that whole part over. I got my words. I'm looking for the words right, make them right words. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying say the right things. I said the wrong thing. <laughs> maybe you don't need empathy. You don't need apathy, but maybe you don't need an empathetic word or someone just to kind of cry. Listen, maybe you need someone who loves you enough to be honest with you and say you're sinking. Focus on the Lord. Someone that loves you, that is empathetic with you, you know, it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, is that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Are you, gonna, are you willing to encourage yourself in the Lord? Listen, stop just looking. Oh, I just need someone to encourage me. I just need, Encourage yourself. Then you'll be encouraged. Then you can encourage other people. And then when you feel discouraged, they're going to come around and they're going to encourage you. But, but if all you are all the time is a drain, because you're a complainer and complaining is draining, and every time you get around people, all you ever do is complain, they're not going to be around you anymore because you've eliminated them. They're not going to be around you to encourage you when you need to be encouraged. Because all you ever did is complain and drain. And they're like, I'm not answering that phone call. Sorry, I can't make it. Quit, quit expecting people to carry... What only the Lord carries. But we do need people. I am going to talk about that as we continue this series in a couple weeks. We do need people. And we got to build those relationships. Prophesy to your soul. Prophesy to your soul. Are you speaking like a child of God or simply reflecting a lack of faith or giving power over the situation to control you? Say the right things. Believe the right things, say the right things, do the right things. Everybody say, do the right things. You can believe the right thing and say the right thing, but you also got to do the right thing. It's called obedience. And sometimes, sometimes obedience is a hard decision and it's not comfortable. Have you ever done the right thing and not have peace about it? I've done the right thing. Most of the time when I do the right thing and it's a hard thing, I don't have peace about it until after I do it. 
And we've got this, we've got this thing. We go, well, I just let peace guide me. You mean you're letting your feelings make the decisions for you? That's essentially what you're saying. No, we have the word to help us make good decisions, godly decisions. And we make them. We know that we did it right. And then the Lord's like, good job. And this is the thing when we make poor choices, we get bad emotions. We call that shame. And let me say this about shame. When we talk about shame, a lot of times we give those keys to someone else too. Listen, sin imposes way more shame than humans do. When you sin, the repercussions of that is shame. That's one, that's one of the reasons why it's important for you to make good choices. Because it's, like, it's not just like you make the bad choice, and like, oh, I'm forgiven. You don't ever feel that way when you make a bad choice. I don't. I'm like, dang, I'm beating myself up. What is that? That's shame. Because sin bears it within itself punishment. And that sin now is punishing me. So what if we just lived in a way that the devil didn't have anything to accuse us of? When he makes accusations, we go, well, I didn't do that. I had a pure heart about it. So then shame doesn't have any room in your life. We talked about shame a couple weeks ago. You can go back and listen to that. Check this, Isaiah 48, 17. This is what your Lord, the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is good for you. Hmm, this is so good. And who leads you along the paths you should follow. Oh, that you had listened to my commands. Then you would have had peace flowing like a gentle river and righteousness rolling over you like waves of the sea. Peace like a river. Listen, God isn't requiring obedience for his benefit. It's for ours. And this is what he says. If you obey me, you'll have peace. You think about a river. If you throw trash in the river, the river keeps flowing. You drive an 18-wheeler into a river, the river keeps flowing. And this is what happens when we are living in the flow with God, when we are living in the obedience, when we are living in the stream of delighting in the Lord, is what happens is all kinds of stuff gets thrown in our river. And guess what? The peace just continues to flow. Is everything okay? Everything's not okay, but I'm okay. Because I got peace like a river inside of me. Listen, get swallowed up in the river. Do the right thing. Get it, get in the flow of obedience. Believe the right things, say the right things, do the right things, and number four, pray about all things. Pray about all things. We talked about that last week, Philippians 4. I'm not gonna get into it. Listen, prayer is not panic. <laughs> Some of y'all, the only time you ever pray is when you're panicking. I'm about to lose my job. Pray, <laughs> right? My kid woke up. Pray. <laughs> I'm awake. Pray. The, the, the posture of prayer is not solely panic. And some of you, you only pray when you're in trouble. And listen, God really likes it when you pray. So how about you learn to pray before there's problems? 
I'll make this suggestion to you. I think people that pray more don't have as big of problems. It's not that they don't have problems. It's just their problems don't get inside of them. They still have peace. And some of you, you don't have peace because the only time you ever pray is when you have a problem. And so when the problem comes, you think, what's going wrong in your life? Nothing's going wrong. It's just life. And you've, you've come to grips with that, and you just pray because Jesus is your life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm just preaching today. First Peter chapter 5. Stand up with me. We're closing. I, I just want you to kind of get your posture ready. What do we do with what we're troubled with? What's weighing us down? Because we asked you in the beginning of the service, what's weighing on you? There's a story in Acts chapter 27 about the shipwreck. The apostle Paul's there. And he he tells them, He's like, I, I want you to start getting all the cargo on deck because it's weighing us down and I want you to cast it overboard. Cast it, throw it out. And so they start doing this and it alleviates the impact of the wreck because they unload the weight of the thing that could cause them to sink. What I've found in my life is if I'm not careful, worry will weigh me. Wounds will weigh me. Wonder sometimes will weigh me. And Jesus makes this statement, or, or I'm sorry, Peter makes a statement about Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 5, 7. He says, cast. That same word. The weight being cast in the sea. He says this is the same word that you would use, that Peter would have used to cast a net or to cast on the other side of the boat. And he says this, cast all your anxieties on him. Cast all your worries. Cast all your weights. Cast all your cares, one translation says. Because he cares for you.